0: family. Good to be with you today. Great uh, opportunity to bring the Word to you. We're in James chapter 1 verses uh, 19 through 25. We're going to leave verses 26 and 27 for next week. And I've titled today's sermon, Who Are You Following? And maybe a subset would be, Who Are You Listening To? Back in the day, I did a stock market radio update on a daily basis, actually it was twice a day, and I would oftentimes listen to Keith Wyman from KOA Radio before I did my update. And I would garner everything that he said, and then I would basically repeat what he said because I trusted him uh, to have the correct information, and I guess I was too lazy to do my own research. If you read Pension World Magazine back in the 90s, you might have read an article that was authored by Daniel J. Hardy, first Vice President with Smith Barney. What you didn't know is that I didn't write a word of that. I had hired a ghostwriter to do my articles for me. Here's the point. The people that listened to me and read my stuff believed and acted upon my advice not knowing fully whether I was reliable, whether I was a a reliable source of truth. And I was, praise be to God, but they didn't know that and they believed me anyways. The question that I have for you today is, who are you listening to? Who are you following and why? How do you know that they're reliable? Do they motivate you towards righteous living and loving your neighbor? Do you find yourselves angrier as a result of their theory or their opinions that they're dishing out? Let me ask you another question. I know this is going to cut right to the heart. Are you spurring Christian friends towards righteous living and loving their neighbor as a result of what you're sharing with them on social media? Or are you doing the opposite? Are you actually causing yourself and others unknowingly um, more worry and becoming increasingly angry at whoever it is that we're trying to blame out there for whatever trial it is that we're in the midst of? And right now we're in the midst of the... COVID-19 pandemic crisis that's wrecking havoc on our economy, and there are so many people out there that seems to, uh, that we want to give blame to, and why do we spend so much time doing that and forming opinions? And so the question again is, who are you following and who are you listening to? Just because something is believable doesn't mean that it's true. Sadly, most people I see sharing conspiracy theories and controversial opinions are Christians. Many times there are people that I know love Jesus. So why are Christians so susceptible to believe and propagating conspiracy theories? I've got a few ideas. Uh, My wife actually crossed them out of my manuscript, so I won't say them. In a trial, like we're in the midst of right now, where do you turn to for answers first? Who are you following? And who are you listening to? As I mentioned, we're going to examine James chapter 1, verses 19 through 25 here today. We're going to leave aside verses 26 and 27 for next week. And this section of Scripture is um, some of the most quoted of all the Bible both believers and non-believers, in context and out of context. And there's five phrases that I want you to remember, uh, actually four phrases as we go through this. We are to hear, we're to receive, we're to do, and the word says we will be will be blessed. I want to just take a high-level review over the last couple of weeks. James has helped us think through God's purpose in pain through trials. and The first purpose that he taught us is that uh, trials deepen our faith. Secondly, they purify our hope. And thirdly, they help root out our fleshly desires if, if conceived will turn to sin. Last week we saw that we are tempted to sin when our fleshly desires are left unchecked and unplucked. Oftentimes, it's a trial that exposes our fleshly desires. So James's encouragement to you and I is to know ourselves and to know our fleshly desires. And secondly, to know our God who never changes or never shifts, that his love is constant today and tomorrow. We left off last week in verse 18 where James reminded Christians that we have been born again and that we are the Lord's prized possessions. The Christian's response to the new birth is always obedience to God's commands. You see we are accepted and loved because of God's grace and therefore we obey. Every other religion out there says obey so that you can be accepted, except Christianity. That we're accepted and we're loved. Therefore, we obey. So James has some practical commands for you and I today. To put off that which leads to unrighteous anger and to humbly receive and obey His word that brings blessing. Verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. In this life, in trials of various kinds, know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Let every person who let every Every person, and he's speaking to Christians, let every Christian, let everyone that has been born again, let everyone who's been saved by grace alone through faith alone, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. In this little verse, it's an understatement, but this little verse has massive implications for the way that we relate with one another. The first imperative, be quick to hear. When James encourages us to be quick to hear, he means listening, to listen with a desire to understand the other person. We don't do well with that in our culture. We all want to be heard, and all you've got to do is glance at social media. There's no dialogue going on there. There's no discussion. It's simply putting forth um, opinions and theories, and might I say that many of those opinions and theories are uninformed. Charlie Brown, the cartoon character, had a teacher who taught him with words. And Charlie Brown, the only thing that he heard from his teacher was wah, 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 wah. And I think that's what we hear at times from other people. that we, Because we are, um, we are seeking to be understood more than we're seeking to understand. In my relationship with my closest neighbors, my wife my adult children, my co-pastors, I think even people in my community group. Um, I find myself with these close neighbors sometimes more interested in being heard by them than I am um, wanting to hear them. And when I'm not hearing well, it's because I'm quick to speak. I'm making sure that by golly, they understand me in my particular viewpoint. That's when I'm in my flesh. James, of course, knows this and gives the next imperative. Be slow to speak. In other words, he's telling us to be hesitant to voice your opinion before listening to others first. When we're so busy trying to get our point across while not listening to our neighbor, we inevitably end up getting angry and frustrated. I know I do at times. So James gives the third imperative in a row. Be slow to anger. I fear that too many of us hear this and immediately the place we go is we try to, go to, we try to justify our anger, our so-called righteous anger. And I want to encourage you today, please don't go there. Um, righteous anger, there is an anger that is um, permissible, But but James is telling us to be slow to anger because most of our anger is not permissible and it is not righteous. How, How many of us justify our anger as a normal response to people in our environment around us? They can't take our freedom. They can't take away our rights. They've taken away our control. That's the definition of a trial. We have lost something that we either need or we value. And James has something to say about our anger that is fueled by listening to the wrong voices. Let me say that again. Oftentimes our anger is fueled because we're listening to the wrong voices. We might be listening, but it's the wrong voices. And we direct at innocent victims um, our anger because somehow our comfy life has been interrupted. Verse 20, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. This type of anger does not produce the righteous living required by by God who has saved us by grace. However, I don't want you to confuse righteous living with our um, imputed righteousness. You see, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that that, um, He who knew no sin became our sin so that we might become the righteousness of Christ. He took all of our sin on the cross and He clothed us in all of His righteousness We are holy. We can approach the Father because of our union with Jesus Christ. But what he's talking about here is righteous living. It's actually living as who we already are. The anger that James is referring to is an annoyance provoked by what is perceived as unfair treatment. Think about most of the times that you've been angry. It's because you've got some type of perception that you've been treated unfairly by somebody else. Man's natural character is to lash out and blame someone else for our loss. I know it is for me. I want somebody to blame. And when we find that someone else, whether we're correct or not, we want to expose them. We want to punish them. We, sometimes we even want to get even with them somehow it feels better for us when there is a villain who we can point to and put the blame on. Ecclesiastes 7.9 says this, it says, be not, be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Have you ever had something lodged in your throat? That feels like it stays there for hours. And what what the the preacher in Ecclesiastes 7 is saying is that when we're angry, particularly unrighteous anger, it gets lodged in our heart. It begets more anger. So when we let um, anger take root in our heart, it actually leads to um, greater unrighteous anger. Let me just say a quick word about righteous anger. You see, righteous anger, if you want to know the difference, righteous anger compels us to do something good. It honors the Lord. It isn't an anger or an annoyance provoked by what we know as unfair treatment. Very similar. But it's usually unfair treatment to those who cannot protect or fend for themselves. The least of these. Widows, orphans, the poor the handicapped. It's an anger that is motivated by love. It's an anger that has a goal to reconcile, to heal, to correct, to align, to restore. It's an anger that actually compelled God to come and save His people. Angry at sin and evil that separated us from Him. Angry at the enemy, the strong man, as Mark calls it, that had possession of us. This love-motivated anger compelled him to go and to become flesh and to live the perfect life, to die the sacrificial death and to rise victoriously again from the dead. Anger. Is not the righteous response, nor does it produce the life that we're called to. You know, I had an aha moment in community group the other night. One of my friends had mentioned that he established a discipline for helping him not get angry when he arrives home after a long day. He'd pull the car over a couple minutes before he gets home, and he would prepare himself to love his kids and to love his wife well. He prepared himself to think of his uh, family as more important than himself. And then he said this. He says, I can be pretty patient and slow to speak and slow to anger through short seasons of trials. I appreciated that honesty. But he said, at some point, I'm just done with it and I want the trial to be over. Some of us, and I can relate with that, some of us can muscle through trials for the short term. And then it's kind of like Popeye where we says, you know what, I can only stand so much and I can't stand no more and I get angry. And we, we, we muscle through it. We create these disciplines by memorizing verses like 19 and 20. It's a good discipline. Memorizing a verse that says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Some of us can develop disciplines that help us to shut up, to listen well, and not be angry. But the problem with discipline alone is that when a trial lingers and we keep just mowing over the weeds of our fleshly desires, hoping that they go away and they don't, at some point that trial will reveal our fleshly desires and when conceived will lead to sin. So the longer the trial, the less weeding we do, our self-discipline will only take us so far. So James gives some practical suggestions on how to weed these desires out that conceive sin and produce anger. Verse 21, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Therefore, since man's anger does not produce the righteousness the living god desires for his children he says put away or put off that which does not produce this type of living in th- this type of living thought word and deed put away all filthiness literally dirty clothes moral filth take it off he says he says, put away rampant wickedness. That's unconstrained malice. That's, that's wanting to, to blame somebody, to get even with them, to expose them, to see them punished. He says, identify the moral filth and the rampant wickedness and take them off, uproot them, kill them, destroy them over and over again. This is not a one time event. This is a daily, hourly, weekly, monthly, yearly, lifetime endeavor for the Christian. It's not enough to just to put off all filthiness and rampant wickedness. We can only muscle that up for so long. He goes on to say, he says, Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. There's always two sides to righteous living. It's the discipline of putting off sin and wickedness that you once walked in. But it's also to embrace the implanted Word. This means to heed its instruction, to allow it to change you, to submit to it as your authority. Receiving it means that it's our go-to. It's not our last, it's our first go-to. And it's our last go-to no matter what the circumstances are. It's the place where we go first and last to, uh, to, to hear it and to be slow to speak. In verse 18, it says that the word, the word brought us life. And we're to receive that same Word with meekness or humility. And by receiving it with meekness, we're, what it means is we're allowing it. We're inviting it to, uh, to read us, to inform us, to guide us, to deepen our faith, to purify our hope, and to convict us of sin. We have been saved by hearing the gospel, and we will grow in righteous living the more time we spend in the Word. Anything, anything that is planted, anything good that is planted, produces good fruit. Anything that's good and planted will produce good fruit. But it needs to be watered. It needs to be cared for. Expecting Christian growth in your life. Expecting righteousness to grow in your life. Expecting Christ-likeness to grow in your life. Without spending time in the Word, It's like expecting a tomato plant to flourish in weed-infested ground that never gets watered. And it goes on in verse 22. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Earlier, James commanded us to be quick to hear. And now he builds on that truth, and he tells us what to do when we hear it. Do it. You see, if James could have been a rich man, if he had only patented that phrase, just do it. That's what God is calling us to do. He isn't giving us a, um, this book just simply for information. But by his grace and his kindness, he's given in this book so that we can be transformed into his likeness. And the more time that we spend in this book, um, spoiler alert, and we do what it says by the power of the Holy Spirit, we'll be blessed, he says. Yes. At a minimum, hearing is good. Sitting under good teaching is good. Reading the Bible is good. Studying the Word is good. But if it doesn't lead to obedience, James calls you and I deceived. That we're deceived as to what the purpose of God's um, implanted Word is. The goal of God's Word is, uh, is transformation. And being doers of the Word starts with humbly receiving it. Hearing is not the end. Doing is the end. Hearing is necessary, but it's not the goal. We hear so that we can do, and we do so that we can please God who has already um, fully accepted and loved us. John Calvin said that obedience is the mother of true knowledge. Verses 23 and 24, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. James gives a brilliant illustration of what happens when we glance at God's Word, but we don't receive it. And we don't allow it to move us toward obedient action. He says it's like looking in the mirror and not remembering what we just saw. Back in the day, I wore a tie every day. And every day I also shaved, which neither of those happened very often. And I would, um, in the morning I would shave, I'd, get a, I'd cut myself almost every time I shaved on my neck. And so I'd put my, I'd put my shirt like this and I would tuck in a piece of tissue um, until the blood would clot and then I would take the tissue out. The problem is, is that I'm, I'm shaving, I'm grabbing my coffee, I'm getting in my car, I'm driving downtown to the office. And if I would forget of what I saw in the mirror, that there was a piece of tissue stuck in my neck like a dork, um, that could stay there all day. And it did. There were a couple times that I can remember that at the end of the day, after several client appointments, I would go into the restroom and look in the mirror and go, oh, my goodness, the tissue is still in my shirt. I looked in the the mirror in the morning, and I forgot what I saw. Here's another illustration. Sometimes we simply take a vain, sideways look in the mirror. You know what I'm talking about? I know you do. We all do it. We walk by the mirror. We just kind of like take a, take a glance over there to see, you know, see, how, we're, see how we're looking. And, and we don't look close enough, though, to see that there is toothpaste on the side of our mouth or that um, there is a patch of hair under my nose that I didn't Um, that I didn't get in my shaving. Or for you ladies, maybe there's um, lipstick on your teeth or mascara that's run down your face. You see, if we don't take a close look, we won't see our blemishes. God's Word, like a mirror, reads us and shows us our sin. One more example. If we don't spend enough time we forget, particularly in the midst of trials, how much we are loved and accepted by God. You see, we tend to forget. So James' um, encouragement or command is to, um, is to not be merely um, hearers of the Word who deceive themselves, but doers of the Word. And he says we're prone to forget The Word must have an effect on our speaking and our acting and our thinking and our overall life. And when it doesn't, it's because we've just taken a glance and we forget. The point is this, that when we don't do the Word, it's because we forget. The more time we spend in the mirror of God's Word, the more we're going to remember as to what He calls us to do the more we're going to remember of His character and His promises, the more we're going to remember of who He says that we are. We need constant reminders. I don't know um, how you can do it. I don't know how you can live this life, especially in the environment we're in right now, without gazing deeply into God's Word and be reminded of the things I just told you about. Listen to um, Deuteronomy, what the Lord is telling um, His people, whom He had just delivered from Egypt and gave His commands to. He says, You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, in in your bowels, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes and you shall teach them to your children, talking to them when you are sitting in your house and when you're walking by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. He says, plaster it everywhere because you're prone to forget. In the verse 25, he says, but, but the one who looks into the perfect law the law of liberty, and perseveres. being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing. He says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty. What looking into means to stoop low. It's the same word that is used by John and Luke to describe both Peter and Mary when the stone was rolled away and they stooped down to examine, to see if Jesus was there. I picture a little boy with a magnifying glass getting an up-close look at something he wants to get acquainted with. Maybe a bug, maybe a flower. But the one who looks into the perfect law, who intently stoops low to examine, to get acquainted with the living God in His living Word. He looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty. And the perfect law is the same word of truth by which Christians were born again in verse 18. And it's the same word that we're encouraged to receive with humility in verse 21. It's not just the law. It's but the law that was taught and fulfilled by Jesus. The perfect law the law of liberty or freedom. Not just talking about, he's not just talking about the Old Testament law. The law that brings freedom is when Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. Paul describes it as this in verse 13 and 14. For you were called to freedom, brothers, Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So how is the law freeing? In our Western culture, we seem to think that freedom is the absence of restriction. Further, we think that there is blessing in freedom. I guess at some level uh, that's correct, but James tells his his readers that there's blessing or freedom in obedience. You think of Adam and Eve in the garden, they they could eat of any tree in the garden except for the one. He's given given us so much to enjoy. And when we persevere in doing what God's Word instructs, He says there will be blessing. When it's the first place, when His Word is the first place and the last place we go for answers and we seek to understand how He wants us to respond to any situation, it brings blessing. You see, it's when we do it our way as the song goes. It's when we're quick to speak and slow to listen. That's when we have a lack of blessing. It's when we, we become quick to anger. So today in, I don't know, week seven of this pandemic crisis, I want to encourage you to be quick to hear. What is God saying to you through His Word in this time? How does He want you to respond? Be slow to speak. You know, James has a ton to say about prayer, speaking to God in chapters 4 and 5. Right now, what he has for us is he has this, he's encouraging us to go to the Word and listen. Be slow to anger. Jesus is on His throne. And He is working out His good will and purpose in your life and in my life. In this country, in this town, in this world right now. We may not agree with it, but He will work His good will and pleasure out. In this season, He wants to deepen your faith in Him. He wants to deepen your trust in Him for all the answers that you need while at the same time remembering that the secret things belong to the Lord. We can stop speculating. We don't know the time or the seasons that He's returning. We don't need to try to figure out a conspiracy theory as to why why we have this pandemic crisis. One of them might prove to be true, but what I know is this, that He's on His throne, and He's sovereign, and He's good, and He's loving, and He's purifying our hope, and He's deepening our faith. He's he's exposing the fleshly desires that when conceived bear sin. He is the ultimate source of wisdom and knowledge. He is the only news source worthy of trusting in. In fact, all other news sources are fake news, and they create anger and worry. So, brothers and sisters, today, whatever your habits and disciplines have been, turn to His Word. Turn off all other channels, or at least turn them down. Look intently to into His living and active Word and be reminded of who He is and who He says that you are and what His sure promises are. When we do God, things God's way rather than our own, there's blessing. And otherworldly, Crazy, genuine happiness that is, is found in the reality that there's freedom in doing things God's way and trusting in Him completely. So I want to leave you with these final four words hear, receive, obey, and be blessed. Not in the Joel Olstein kind of blessing but in the happiness that's found in not only hearing God's Word, but doing what He asks. Would you pray with me? Father, thank You for um, Your living, active, and abiding Word. God, I thank You that, um, that Your Word is um, um, it's one of freedom and liberty, because um, there's no work left for us to do uh, for our salvation. Um, Lord Jesus, You earned it all for us. So I thank You that we can rest in that. And I pray, God, that, um, that we would um, um, just long to spend more time with You and Your Word. Your Word that reveals Your character. Your Word that reveals um, what You think about us. Your Word that reveals Your promises. Your word that tells us um, how to act and respond in the midst of trials. And Lord, I pray that you'd give us the courage to um, turn your word up and to minimize all the other voices in our lives. Maybe not all the other voices, but God, the voices that are causing us to worry and to be angry. And so God, I, pr- I uh, thank you for loving us. I thank you for keeping us. And I thank you, God, that, uh, that you will bring us all the way home to complete salvation. We love you, and we pray in Jesus' name. Brothers and sisters, just one more thing. If you go, you know what? I would like to spend more time in the Word, but I just don't know how to do it. Um, Would you reach out to me or your community group leader or one of the other pastors or one of our wives, and we'd love to help you um, establish some new disciplines um, in His Word um, for His glory and for your good. Love you. Have a great week.